What's up, guys? Welcome to TNT Sports Talk. Today is Tuesday, April 30th. As always, we are presented by D's Home Cuts. I'm your host, Travis Karcheski. Just me today. Uh, I expect it to be just me on Thursday. And then, for the time being, we should have me and Truman and another guest on for the rest of the summer. School is wrapping up. This is the last week of school for us. We are currently in finals, so I apologize for getting this episode out a little bit later than what I wanted to. But uh, with the way finals are going, I had to study, and I really didn't have time to record this morning. So we had a fantastic weekend. The draft in Nashville was amazing. We're going to talk about all this. We got some playoff basketball I wanted to talk about as well, and obviously some baseball, uh, and then we'll wrap it up. So we had a huge weekend with sports. We'll start with football where we always start. We'll start with the NFL draft. I think Nashville, that was one of the most exciting atmospheres the draft has you know, been held in in a while. I would say, honestly, it's better than Chicago, better than New York the last couple of years. Having it on that main street was really, really cool. I actually enjoyed it a lot. And this draft... Besides not having you know, all the flash of the you know last couple of years, the last couple of drafts I've had, it was more of a meat and potatoes type of draft where uh, a lot of NFL off, a lot of NFL linemen, a lot of NFL defensive linemen were being taken, uh, a lot of need needed positions that you wouldn't really buy a jersey for some of your teams. You know, a lot of these first round picks were a lot of offensive linemen, a lot of defensive linemen, a lot of guys where you're not going to go out and buy a you know Joe on. Uh, Williams jersey or whatever, or an Andre Dillard jersey or whatever like that. You're not going to go out and buy those type of you know jerseys. Uh, you know, a couple players here and there like Kyler Murray and Haskins, obviously, but there wasn't as much you know star-studded wide receivers, running backs, tight ends, all these guys being drafted in the first round. It was really you know this was the type of draft where you build a team off of because these pieces, these offensive linemen, these defensive linemen, these blocking tight ends are guys who are going to really help your team out maybe you're not gonna you know it's not gonna flash maybe you're not gonna see the stat line that you usually see but this is the draft that's gonna help people out and that was exciting because this year the uh draft the average viewer to average 6.1 million viewers this year which is up actually uh 600 from last year was 5.5 million average viewers last year although thursday night's ratings were actually down a little bit in the first round uh it had 11.2 uh, viewers last year and only had 11.1 this year so it actually went down a little bit but I think overall as the weekend went along I think you know a lot of the social media buzz was you know starting to go around on Twitter with how amazing Nashville was I mean you saw that site of all the fans that went all the way up and down the street I mean I think they said almost 200,000 people were there I'm not sure if that's the exact number but it was a ton of people and it was a lot of fun uh, the thing that got old, though, was the Dolly Parton intro. They did that intro on Thursday night, Friday night, and Saturday morning, and it was just kind of boring after a while, hearing the same you know, voice over and over and over again. Uh, I watched it on NFL Network. I think a lot of people like it on ESPN, but NFL Network, my guy Rich Eisen, I love to watch it on there. That's all I watched the, the three days. It was weird not having Mike Mayock on there, although I think Daniel Jeremiah did a fantastic job filling in for Mayock. Uh, then they had a couple guys fill in, you know, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. They had the Stanford coach Shaw on Thursday. They had Joel Klatt on Friday. And then they had Charles Davis, I believe, on Saturday. No, Charles Davis was always there. Who was there on Saturday? They had another, Peter Schrager, I think, if I'm not mistaken, was there on Saturday. But anyways, uh, NFL Network did a fantastic job of covering the guys. 
I love the new way they do it. They've started it, I think it was like three years ago they started it, where they don't show the guy getting the call in the green room. Like, obviously, that's a cool thing to see, but you want to get the shock of when the pick is actually read out loud by Goodell. Um, like, you saw the fourth pick uh, with Colleen Farrell. Nobody, or I don't know how you say his first name, but nobody expected him to be taken with the fourth pick. And it was cool to see uh, that kind of shock from everybody as soon as it was read. Obviously, you can find spoilers on Twitter, and we absolutely hate those guys. Those people are the worst people who spoil the pick. Um, but when you turn your phone off like I did, you stay away from Twitter as much as possible. It is uh, kind of a shock when the picks get read out loud. Uh, so it was a great draft. I would say we're going to go through some of these. Uh, first round, it was pretty much, you know, comp- outside of the top three, it was pretty much the completely different than what most experts were saying. Nobody predicted Farrell to go number four. Nobody expected Daniel Jones to go number six. A lot of these guys, some of these guys weren't even project- projected into the first round. That's what goes to show you how hard it is and how stupid it is to do a mock draft. Um, we love doing it. It's just fun for us. But when you're going to base on you know, who your team is going to be picking off of a mock draft, it's not the best way because it goes to show you on on a Thursday, mock drafts are usually wrong because usually what happens is one guy makes a mock and then everybody sort of copies off of him. And at the end of the day, all the mock drafts sort of look the same. And then you expect a guy like Jawan Taylor to go in the top 10, but he ends up falling all the way to the second round. So mock drafts really aren't the best thing for you to look at in terms of who your team's going to pick gives you a good idea but it's not great and then the other thing that's not great is the draft grades i'm not going to go through i'm not going to give teams that i like drafts i didn't like um and grade them like a lot of people do give them a through f's because i think that's dumb i think drafts based purely on the names on the paper aren't a good indicator of how good the draft was. I think you got to wait two to three years down the road before you actually see, you know, how great this draft was. I mean, you look at a team like what was that draft? Uh, like the Packers, I believe, in 2015. We no longer have any players on our roster from 2015, and that just goes to show how poor of a draft that actually was. But um, so I think you got to wait two to three years to actually see who or you know what kind of draft stock you actually got so you got to wait a couple years so don't you know put all your eggs in this basket of this espn supposed expert in quotations who gives your team an f just chill out you know it's a lot of these players that were picked haven't been you know taught your system yet you don't know how they're going to react in their system just because six round linebacker from you know, LSU or whatever was given an F grade in terms of draft doesn't mean he's not going to turn out to be a good player. It's highly unlikely because usually sixth, seventh round picks don't turn out to be much, but don't put all your weight into, uh, you know, what some ESPN insider graded your draft. As far as the Packers go, I think they had a fantastic draft. Um, We're going to see what happens. They took a lot of athletic guys, you know, Rashawn Gary and Savage in the first round, and then Elton Jenkins and Jay Steinbecker, Steinberger in the second and third rounds. That shows me they had a good draft there, not just because we haven't seen what they can do yet, but those four guys, I think you could plug and play them you know, day one, and they'll be starters this year, uh, which is going to be cool. I think starters is the biggest thing if you want to grade drafts. Uh, you're going to look at who's going to start and who's going to sit. So, But it was a good draft, and I'm going to go through. I'm not going to rate teams based overall on picks. I'm going to do picks I liked and some picks I did not like. Uh, and I think just from the first round, we're not going to go through all of these. Uh, but as far as, you, as far as it goes... For picks I liked, I love the Steelers trading up 
in the top 10 with the 10th overall pick with the Broncos and taking Devin Bush. It's a little concerning if you're a Steeler fan that a guy like Vic Fangio, who is a fantastic linebacker expert, uh, decided that Bush was not worth the top 10 pick and he decided to trade back. But still, Devin Bush is fast, he's physical, and he fits a need that the Steelers have been, fits a hole that the Steelers have been looking for the last couple of years since Shazier went down with an injury. That defense, that Pittsburgh Steelers defense, is a lot different when they have a very good starting linebacker. And without Shazier there, that hole has been, you know, pretty much pretty clear the last couple of years. And they've tried to fill it with some free agents and it just hasn't worked out. Going up there, getting the guy you want, giving away some picks to get the guy you know could start day one and could be a franchise-changing impact player like Devin Bush is a smart move. Then with the Redskins, they they had a fantastic draft. The Redskins usually are a team that doesn't have that great of a draft. Dan Snyder usually likes to put his hands into places where he does not need to be involved. And the stories were coming out beforehand, that's what he was doing. But he actually ended up having a great draft. The whole entire Redskins brass had a fantastic draft. Taking Haskins at 15 when he should have been a top 5, top 6 player is amazing. They got Haskins as the number 3 quarterback when I truly believe, and this is probably my bias as an Ohio State fan, he is the best quarterback in the draft. And they got him at 15. What you're going to get in Haskins, just from what I've seen as an Ohio State guy, he is a lion. He is a beast. He's going to go out there. He's going to take that chip of being being picked 15th, third quarterback overall, and he is going to dominate and use that as motivation to really bring the Redskins back up to glory. Um, He's a great kid. He's smart. You're not going to have to worry about any of his problems off the field because he just doesn't have any. And you know, you saw in the draft, in the after-draft interview, you know, they asked him what number he's going to wear, and he said, "Oh, he's got, he's got to ask Theismann." And they actually asked Theismann um, if he could wear number seven, which is a franchise legend quarterback. You just, you just want that from your picks. You want guys like that to embrace the culture. And I think Haskins is going to do that. And then uh, Andre Dillard to the Eagles at I believe 24 made a lot of sense. Andre Dillard is one of the best tackles in the draft, and it's not a sexy pick. Again, you're not going to buy an Andre Dillard jersey, but with Jason Peters sort of on his way out, you know, towards retirement, it makes a lot of sense for the Eagles to pick up Dillard in the first round. Now, as far as picks that I did not like, uh, there was two. Daniel Jones, obviously number six to the Giants. That made no sense to me. Now, in terms of, I'm not going to say it was a completely shitty pick because it wasn't. Uh, It was six overall. I just think you could have got Daniel Jones at 17th. Uh, I think he would have fell that far. Uh, I know they've said that they've known that the Broncos and the Redskins were thinking about taking Daniel Jones, but I just don't believe that at all. Um, I don't think I think the Broncos really wanted Drew Locke, which they got, and I think the uh, uh, the Redskins really wanted Haskins. Maybe they didn't believe Haskins was going to be there. I think so. Maybe they did do some work on Daniel Jones, but I just think picking him at number six was too high. Now, they did get their guy. There's no excuses now for Dave Gettleman and the Giants brass. They got their guy. They think Daniel Jones is going to be the heir apparent to Eli Manning. He's worked with Eli Manning and Peyton Manning's passing coach in Cutcliffe. It makes sense in terms. That's why everybody you know had Jones going to the Giants. They just didn't have Jones going this high. Uh, I'm not high on Daniel Jones. I don't think he's going to be that good of a quarterback. I think they're looking at Daniel Jones' framework and uh, his body type, and they think, okay, he should be a good quarterback, but they aren't looking hard enough at the production at Duke. Duke was not a good program when Daniel Jones was the quarterback. He got blown out a bunch of times to a bunch of mediocre programs. He just 
doesn't show me on tape that he could really win and win at a high level and be a quarterback of a New York franchise, be the main piece of any New York franchise in any sport is tough. And to go from Duke to that, it's going to be tough. But again, he has Eli Manning, which I think Eli Manning is one of the best quarterbacks to work behind and learn from. But this is it for Dave Gettleman. If this doesn't work out, they took a risk. They took their guy. Uh, He and Pat Shermer are going to be out of a job. So it's a risky pick, but we'll see what happens there. Uh, Another thing I did not like was Titus Howard to the Texans, the Alabama State offensive lineman. The only reason I did not like this, not because I think Titus Howard's going to be a bad tackle. I think he's a risky, raw prospect. And when you're taking risky, raw prospects, you're going to want, you know, you're going to want to have some sort of... uh, cushion with mistakes where you'll allow a couple mistakes here and there in games but when you have a guy like Deshaun Watson who was sacked the most last year who's already had an ACL tear in the NFL as your franchise quarterback you can't take risks like Titus Howard Titus Howard's a good prospect and we'll see what happens Uh, I think he's going to be forced to play day one and I don't think he is really built for that in terms of where he comes from with college and all of that so it didn't make much sense, sense to me sense to me and then you add that Andre Diller was still on the board. That kind of combines with all of that and just completely makes no sense. Uh, but we'll see what happens. You know, Maybe they can turn Titus Howard into a beast. Maybe they saw something that we didn't. They're the experts. I'm not. I didn't watch much tape on Titus Howard. Now, that's the picks I liked, picks I didn't like. As far as risky picks go, I think there's two here. Uh, I think obviously Farrell to the Raiders. Clint? Kyle Farrell, whatever his first name is, was a pick nobody thought would happen. I think he would have been. I don't think he would have been there at 24 uh, if they wanted him and they didn't take him at four. I think they would have had to have gone up in the first round. But he is their guy, I guess. He is a very high character guy. I think that's who Mike Mack wanted to pick in a lot of his uh, uh, picks here. He had a ton of picks. I think he picked a lot of high character guys. He's trying to change the culture of the Raiders. And taking a guy like Farrell makes sense. I think what would have been the smarter move if I was the GM, I'm not sure if he had this opportunity, would be to trade down to maybe, you know, past 12, maybe 13 or 14, and taken Farrell there. I think he would have been there. And that would have made a lot more sense. But Farrell played four years at Clemson, had a lot of production there. We'll see what happens. You know, maybe his production was down maybe his production numbers were down just because of how star-studded that defensive line was um but we'll see this is mike mayak's first pick as a gm and it's going to be looked at for the next couple years and then you have josh allen to the jaguars i think the jaguars got an absolute steal and josh allen going seventh overall to a guy who should have been top five was a great pick for the jaguars you put him next to class campbell um, I think he's going to be a big help for them. And I think Josh Allen's actually going to turn out to be a really good player. The reason I'm saying this is a little risky is because they had some offensive linemen on the board, and I think they needed offensive line help a little bit more than they, need, they needed pass rushers. Um, but this is going to fill that hole that Dexter Fowler left. Uh, when they took him three overall a couple years ago, he was a huge prospect, and everybody thought he'd be great. Ended up, I think he tore his Achilles, and he was just never the same player again. And he turned into kind of a bust. Uh, I don't think that's going to be Josh Allen. I love Josh Allen. I think he's one of the hardest workers in the draft. I think he's going to be a lot of fun to watch with the Jaguars. And I think he'll actually be a pretty good player. I just did not understand taking him um, when you have such 
you know, a big hole on the offensive line. It makes sense, though, because you are going to take the best player available. When a guy like Josh Allen's available, you're going to take him no matter what your need is. Um, but I think maybe possibly trading down and taking an offensive lineman would have made more sense. But at the end of the day, uh, they're getting a Josh Allen, and I don't think they can complain about that. Now, outside of the first round, uh, I said it before on Thursday's show, the second day and the third day is really where the drafts are made. Yeah, your first and second, your first round pick could turn into a beast, but if your second and third round guys or your fourth, sixth, seventh rounders don't turn into you know good players and actually end up getting cut, maybe not even making the roster, that's where you can lose drafts very quickly. Some picks I liked outside of the first round was obviously Hakeem Butler. I think he was the first pick on day three to the Cardinals. I thought he was the number one uh, round. I thought he was a day one number uh, number one guy. I don't know what that means. A day one guy picked in the first round. Uh, he's a very raw prospect. Obviously, NFL GMs didn't see it that way because he fell to day three. Um, he's a very raw prospect. He's got great size. He struggles with a little. He struggles with catching in traffic. But I think when you give him some work, I think he'll end up turning into a pretty good player for the Cardinals. And that's a great weapon to go alongside uh, Christian Kirk and Fitzgerald. Also, they took Andy Isabel in the third round, I believe, second or third round with the pick. They traded for Josh Rosen. We'll get to Josh Rosen in a second. But Isabel could turn into a pretty good slot receiver. Led the league, led the NCAA in receiving yards last year. Uh, so it's going to be an interesting pick there for the Cardinals. And then one of my favorite picks was Drew Locke to the Broncos. I believe that was in the second round. Drew Locke was predicted to go first round to the Broncos by a lot of mock drafts, and a lot of people said they were high on Drew Locke, and I truly, truly believe that. Um, but they didn't swing on him in the first round. They took they took a step back, which John Elway has been known to kind of take a swing on a guy, but they took a step back, traded actually back to 20, took a really good weapon in Noah Fant, and then I believe in the second round they took somebody else. Um, they took an offensive lineman. I think they took Dalton. Yeah, they took Dalton Riser with the second round pick. Then they had another one where they took Drew Locke. So they got their guy, but they got him in the second round, and they got a bunch of more picks, uh, which was a great move by John Elway and uh, the Broncos brass. So it made a lot of sense there. Uh, and I think Drew Locke's going to learn a lot from Joe Flacco. He doesn't have to start right away, and this is a good pick for the Broncos. He fits John Elway's mold of a tall, white, pocket-passing quarterback. And he's very raw, but he has the skills to be an actually a pretty good quarterback. And learning behind Joe Flacco is going to help him. Then the last thing in the outside of the first round was uh, Chancey Gardner-Johnson to the Saints. That was a great pick, the safety out of Florida. I thought he was a first-round pick. Obviously, I was wrong. I think a lot of people thought he was a first-round pick. And to go to the Saints, who have a, actually have a pretty big hole at safety opposite Marcus Williams, this is a good pick for them. He's going to fill that role perfectly, and it's going to make a lot of sense for them. Now, obviously, when you go through the draft, there's going to be some names that you think should have been drafted that weren't. I have three guys here that were undrafted, and uh, we're going to talk about them really quickly. Undrafted guys, this is this really this is just a bonus. I mean, there's tons of undrafted guys who maybe didn't make, didn't get drafted because of injuries, maybe off the field stuff, maybe they're just too raw, maybe they um, were hurt in college. There's a lot of guys where you can find some straight-up gems in the undrafted market. And you saw last year Philip Lindsay, who became a pro bowler. The Packers have had a lot of success with undrafted guys over the years. And 
I think undrafted people could make a huge impact on your roster. There's a there's a huge list of undrafted players who have made the league and have actually done extremely well. Philip Lindsley, you're just scratching the surface with guys who've been undrafted and have turned into huge impact players for franchises. I have three guys here. My first guy is Porter Gustin from USC. Porter Gustin is one of my favorite players in the draft, was one of my favorite players in the draft. He is still unsigned, actually, which is kind of crazy to me. Um, He's a linebacker from USC. If you don't know anything about him, the reason he wasn't drafted was because of injuries. He has been injured the last couple of years uh, at USC, but when he is on the field, he just produces and produces a lot. Um, And I just want to see if he got picked up at all. Yeah, actually he did. Okay, so breaking news, I guess. He got picked up by the Saints. Great pickup for them. If you don't know anything about Porter Gustin, he's, like I said, linebacker from USC, been dealing with injuries in his career. He has an insane diet. He doesn't eat solid food. He actually grounds up all his food into a smoothie. He drinks it uh, so he can digest digest it quicker. Uh, he drinks two gallons of water a day, and he just lives in the weight room. He is a workhorse, and all he does is work. And it was a great pickup by the Saints to get him. Uh, I was surprised he fell and waited this long. Um, he does have, uh, I think, a suspension coming uh, with PEDs, but it turns out it was just Adderall, I guess. Uh, which isn't too concerning. Obviously, it's just he's got suspended, but it's not concerning enough where it's just, I mean, it's just Adderall, which is not, you know, a highly addictive substance, and it's not that big of a performance enhancer on the football field. Uh, and then another guy I liked was Tyreek Jackson, the quarterback from Buffalo. 6'7", 6'8", strong arm, huge frame. Reminds me of Logan Thomas out of Virginia Tech a couple years ago. He got picked up by the Bills. Uh, so going from Buffalo University to Buffalo Bills uh, makes a lot of sense there. I'm sure he enjoys that. Put him behind Josh Allen. He has one of the strongest arms in the draft. You're going to have one of the strongest uh, quarterback rooms in terms of arm strength and straight-up cannons. Tyree Jackson makes a lot of sense there. That's going to be a lot of fun for the Bills uh, coaching staff to work with. Then you got uh, Ben... Ben Swalter, Truman could probably pronounce that a little bit better. The guard from Wisconsin. Wisconsin produces, it's just it's just a factory of offensive linemen. He went undrafted. I can't remember. Not Ben, it was Bo. Um, I'm going to check real quick how you pronounce his name. Uh, not how you pronounce his name, where he went. He ended up going to uh, the Lions. Uh, which sucks, but he was a good guard for Wisconsin, part of that offensive line there who dominated teams, and he's going to be a great pickup for the Lions, and I think he could actually make the team. Uh, so those are some of the guys I actually liked that got undrafted. Now we're going to move on to the probably the biggest storyline from the weekend, uh, which was Josh Rosen. So there we were, sitting there on Thursday night, waiting for the first pick. I think we all put Kyler Murray as the first pick in our mock draft, and I think we all expected it. Turns out it actually happened, although when it did happen, it was still a bit of a shock. Um, And then as the day progressed on Friday through the afternoon, I was watching a lot of coverage, and I saw a guy by the name of Steve Smith, one of the best receivers of all time, absolutely go off on Josh Rosen and go off on him, talking about how arrogant he is and how he should go and stop complaining and he should go and just compete. And I'll be honest, I saw it live. The first couple of of, uh, minutes, maybe even an hour after, I was on Steve Smith's side. Uh, I think he just, he's a good rah-rah guy, and he motivated me, and I was like, yeah, you should go and compete, you should stop complaining, you should stop doing all this, but then I saw some other stuff, and I took a step back, and I really realized, 
When has Josh Rosen complained? When did Josh Rosen ever complain during this process? He showed up every single offseason program, every single offseason workout, knowing that chances are he wasn't going to be around during the season. He still showed up. And he didn't complain to anybody in the media. He didn't do anything. You saw a lot more from the offensive linemen of the Steelers and Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown and all these guys. You did not see anything out of Josh Rosen. And I think this whole narrative that Josh Rosen is an arrogant, uh, piece-of-shit guy that nobody likes is completely false. And I think I don't really know where it came from. And I think it's coming from guys who sort of buy into the hype at all. But just show me where, show me an example of Rosen being a bad guy. Show me how he's arrogant and all this stuff. Just because he's smart, just because he had a hot tub in his dorm room in college, doesn't mean he's a bad guy. I don't think he is at all. And I think people are starting to see that more. Um, You saw when he got traded to the Dolphins for, I think it was like a second round, late second round pick, um... You saw a video got released of Josh Rosen. It was a little forced, I'll admit that, I think. People sort of egged him on to do it. But he just said, you know, congrats to Kyler Murray. He's excited to go to Miami. And then he made a little bit of a joke, which was a little awkward there, when he said, like, oh, my apartment's available for rent if you want it or something like that, which is kind of a forced joke, I think. But still, uh, Josh Rosen didn't complain. And I think, yeah, the whole let's go out, just compete, don't ask for a trade, don't do all this. You honestly believe that a team is going to take a quarterback, number one overall, and then they're going to start the guy they took last year, number one. The last year, I think it was like 10th overall. No. Steve Smith doesn't know what he's talking about. He doesn't even know NFL, how the NFL works, uh, which is crazy because he played so many years there. He doesn't know what he's talking about, though. Josh Rosen would never have gotten a fair shake there uh, at Arizona. Kyler Murray would have been the starter day one. The entire offense would have been built, is built around Josh, uh, around uh, Kyler Murray and his skills. Josh Rosen just simply wouldn't fit in that type of college mobile offense. He's a pocket-passing quarterback, and I just think it would not have worked out at all. So I think trading him to the Dolphins made a lot of sense. The Dolphins got a first-round talented quarterback uh, for basically nothing. They're going to be paying, I think, almost $5 million a year, which is nothing for a quarterback, which is basically just free quarterback. And you have a chance to get one of the best prospects. Would have been one or two best prospects in the draft this year. Um, you're going to get him now for basically free, paying him basically nothing. And I think that's going to be a great deal for the Dolphins. Uh, and now people say, oh, well, he didn't do crap last year. He, he looked like shit. Yeah, he did. But he was behind the worst offensive line. He was behind. He was with a coach who got fired after one year. He was with an offensive coordinator who's never called plays before, and he, all he really had around him was David Johnson, who com- looked like he completely forgot how to play football last year after his injury. He had Larry Fitzgerald, who's still a good target, but he's you know 16 years in the league almost. Um, and then you had Christian Kirk, who's a rookie wide receiver, still trying to figure it out himself. So it really didn't make much sense to me as to why people were throwing so much hate. And like Sherman's willing to call Josh Rosen a bust so quickly. But I'm really ready to hold back a little bit on that. And I think uh, it's going to make a lot more sense here in the next couple of uh, months when we see Josh Rosen absolutely ball it up in Miami, which I'm rooting for him now. I think everybody's rooting for Josh Rosen now, um, which also is kind of a back shot at Kyler Murray because I think people who are rooting for Josh Rosen are going to be rooting against Kyler Murray to do bad, uh, 
which is tough because Kyler Murray didn't ask to be put in this situation. But with the number one overall pick, you obviously go into a pretty bad situation itself because teams picking number one overall didn't have the best year last year. Uh, so a lot of pressure is going to be put on his shoulders early because if Murray doesn't work out, the entire coaching staff of there with the Cardinals, the entire ownership is going to be fired and put onto the street. He's got two to three years to st slowly start to turn that franchise around, uh, and that's a lot of pressure for a guy who you know was just a couple week couple uh, years ago playing college football at Oklahoma. So that's it with that. That's all the draft talk I wanted to say. Not it with the NFL though. Tyreek Hill, we gotta talk about it. Um, Thursday before the draft, the tapes, the 911 tapes were released. If you don't know what's going on with Tyreek Hill, basically he had some problems at Oklahoma State where he supposedly beat up. You know, I think he got convicted of it, so he did. He beat up his pregnant girlfriend, um, and a lot of people were not willing to take a guy like Tyreek Hill in the draft. And he was kicked out of college, I think. He had to go to JUCO, where he ended up at West Alabama. Um, and then John Dorsey picked him. I think in the sixth round with the Chiefs. So basically, last couple of years, he's emerged as one of the best talents in the NFL, one of the absolutely um, funnest, hardest players to guard in the NFL, funnest players to watch in the NFL uh, just because of his speed. And he's turned into a top 10 wide receiver, and he's made that Chiefs offense absolutely dynamic. But over the offseason, it started to come out that his son had a broken arm, and supposedly Tyreek Hill broke his arm. Um, which is obviously, we're going to get a little serious here, absolutely unacceptable. And if it is true, he should have been kicked out of the league four years, two months ago. The tapes came out on Thursday, 911 tapes, and they were pretty shocking. Uh, you can go find them on Twitter, just search it, I'm sure they'll be right there. Um, basically saying, you know, that his son should be terrified of him and all this stuff. It was a pretty disturbing tape. And the charges got dropped in the case. Just because they couldn't, they know somebody did something, but they couldn't prove who did what. And I think if you're the Chiefs front office, he should have been cut uh, two weeks ago. As soon as it started to come out, he should have been cut. He should have been held to a higher standard than any of the guys uh, who have gone through something like this. Uh, coming out of college, he already had some stuff against him. And I think one strike, one penalty against him, he should have been gone. Um, and I'm going to get a little bit uh, – and if you're going to cut a guy like Kareem Hunt because of a video like that, you got to cut a guy like Tyreek Hill who did something way worse than Kareem Hunt. Um, and he really hasn't apologized. And he hasn't – and even if you do apologize, there's no excuse for this. He's got to be gone. You, you hurt a kid like this. You put your hands on a kid like this. The Adrian Peterson situation was a little bit different because it was just um, – it was sort of like a spanking punishment type of thing. This, There's no excuse for breaking your three-year-old son's arm. It makes no sense, uh, and you should have been kicked out of the league now. He should be kicked out now. And I'm, I'm actually kind of angry that they're keeping him on the line like this. Um, and it just goes to show you, you know, how much, if you're really that good, and no matter what you do, no matter how bad it can get, they're still going to look into it. If Once they heard about this, he should have been gone. But... Anyways, you saw this with John Dorsey. John Dorsey, uh, and you saw it in the draft this year. Um, I'm not talking crap about John Dorsey. He did his job. He thought Tyreek Hill um, maybe was you know better. Maybe he understood his mistakes, and I think we all fell into that. But what John Dorsey does is he's willing to take risks on players who have had past allegations. You saw it in um, you know 
Kansas City by taking a guy like Tyreek Hill. You've seen it now in Cleveland. He took Antonio Callaway last year. Uh, he picked up Kareem Hunt, and he actually took Greedy Williams, who's also had some problems off the field. Um, you've seen these type of situations. He is willing to take a high risk off of. He's willing to take a risk, a very high risk, off of guys who have had allegations like this for talent. And sometimes that works. Sometimes it doesn't. I think that you know it reignites the fan base. I think fans get excited about this. But it slowly deteriorates the character of his locker room. And I'm not saying that's how it's going in Cleveland. I think he's got a lot of high-character players. Antonio Callaway is actually a success story because he's starting to turn it around there in Cleveland um, and turn around his life. But you've seen it. It's a risky thing. And uh, when you go doing something like this, obviously I think Tyreek Hill should be cut. He should have been cut three weeks ago. Uh, But we'll see what happens over the next couple of weeks. He's actually suspended by the league right now. Then Doug Baldwin's our last football storyline. He is possibly going to be retiring uh, due to multiple surgeries over the offseason, multiple injuries he's had over his career. It looks like Doug Baldwin's going to be hanging it up. One of the most underrated wide receivers of all time, I think, and that's going to be a big hole for the Seahawks, who drafted DK Metcalf in the second round. And they were, you know, I think they're pretty clear. They pretty much understand that Doug Baldwin's done, so that's why they took DK in the second round. We're going to move now to some basketball. We'll keep watch on Tyreek Hill and Doug Baldwin. Uh, We're going to move now to basketball. Before that, check out my guy D's Home Cuts. $7. You won't find a cheaper haircut anywhere. D's Home Cuts provides uh, its clients with some of the best haircuts around Northeast Ohio for the cheapest price around Ohio. Uh, For only $7, he'll provide you with a great cut and styling. Check him out. Me, Truman, 90% of the guests we've had have gotten the haircut at D's at least once or their lifetime clients. Check them out, D's Home Cuts, on Instagram at D's Home Cuts. Send them a DM if you want an appointment. Trust me, you won't be disappointed. D's Home Cuts, professional haircuts at a low price. We got four playoff series going on right now. All four are underway. The Blazers and the Nuggets game got underway last night. We'll go through all of these series, though, to give a quick little line. Uh, I think most people have been watching the Rockets and the Warriors series. Uh, Warriors won the first game. A lot of questionable calls were thrown around, uh, which I think is complete bullshit. Uh, I think James Harden uh, has completely turned into a a diva and a baby over the refs the last couple of games here, especially the last game. Not calling, complaining about the uh, no foul call versus Draymond Green was the stupidest thing I've ever seen James Harden do. James Harden is one of the most uh, biggest one of the most biggest, one of the biggest actors in the NBA today. He flops every single chance he gets. Everybody knows that little, when he shoots a shot and he starts to kick his legs out so he gets the standing, um, the landing spot call, he does that all the time. In the last five years, James Harden has shot over 4,000 free throws. And the closest, I think second, I think it's DeMar DeRozan is in second at 3,000. So there's 1,000. Um, he shot a thousand more free throws than anybody in the league the last five years, and he's complaining about foul calls. Everybody looks away from James Harden when he does that little extra step, which could be called as a travel. Everybody kind of turns a blind eye to that. Um, but when you're playing against the Warriors and you shoot a shot and then you jackknife your legs out like that, um, everybody freaks out saying it was a foul. It was not a foul. It was a flop by James Harden. He was on. The, he spent most of that game on the ground. Uh, trying to get foul calls. I think that was most of his strategy. Even the the uh, Rockets' strategy was just try to get as much foul calls as you can. 
uh, which you can't do in the playoffs because the refs don't call the regular season like they do the playoffs. The refs look at the – I think they play – they let the guys play a little bit harder in the playoffs than they do the regular season, um, and you can't base your whole almost all your game plan around trying to get to the free throw line. This is going to be an interesting series because you saw James Harden say he just needs a chance. He talked about it in this press conference. But James Harden, stop complaining. You need to stop complaining. You've gotten more free throws than almost anybody uh, in the NBA the last five years. Way more. A thousand more than anybody the last five years. Everybody ignores your extra step. And you just need to play better. The Warriors are um, a good team. You need to bring more to the game. You need to bring more energy than just trying to get foul calls. Uh, but tonight's game, it's Tuesday we're recording this. Scott Foster is going to be officiating this game. Houston's 0-6 versus Scott Foster when he officiates games. James Harden got fouled out the last time Scott Foster called a game with the uh, Rockets. And uh, if you remember, Harden called him arrogant and just basically called him out after the game. So Scott Foster is going to be officiating tonight. I think this is sort of a, uh, a mental game that the NBA is playing with the Rockets. Uh, you you know, they called him out. The Rockets called out NBA, officiating, NBA uh, officiating. So the Rockets are going to give you Scott Foster, who, who you hate. Um, so it's going to be an interesting game tonight. Make sure you tune into that. Then you have the Bucks Celtics, another game tonight. Celtics won the first game. They absolutely took Giannis out of it. Al Horford took Giannis away from it. And when you take Giannis away, you really see that the Bucks are not uh, a number one seed in terms of talent. Chris Middleton's not a great number two, um, and it just you so you saw you saw it in the last game. Uh, the Bucks once they take Giannis away, the Bucks sort of fall, and they're just not as good. I think the Bucks, you know, welcome to the playoffs now, Milwaukee Bucks. Um, you beat the Pistons, who were not a playoff team, uh, with especially without Blake Griffin. Uh, so welcome to the playoffs. I think the Celtics are one of the best teams they'll face, and it's going to be a great series. I think the Bucks will lose this one, though. I'm not going to say no, no. I'm going to say the Celtics are going to lose this. I think the Bucks will win this just because I don't want to get some bad luck. 76ers versus Raptors. 76ers won last night, tied it up at 1-1. Kawhi went off in the first game, basically was taken away in the second game. Uh, Guys like Jimmy Butler and Joel Embiid showed out uh, in last night's game. Joel Embiid was dealing with some stomach issues all week, and he actually played a pretty good game when he was as sick as he was. Uh, So it was a good game for them. Then the Blazers versus the Nuggets. The Nuggets won that game, took a 1-0 series lead. Uh, Jokic was a stud last night. I think he finished with 37, uh, which is a great thing to see because most people were a little weary if Jokic could lead his team to a uh, playoff win, and he actually got it done on uh, Monday night. So tune into those series. We'll give you more of an update on Thursday. Uh, then we got baseball. Two stories quickly in baseball. Vlad Guerrero Jr. got his MLB debut. This is exactly what the MLB needs. The MLB has been looking for a star like this to market, and they did it the right way. Um, when he came up on Thursday during the draft, was his first game versus the A's. You could not. Vlad Guerrero Jr. was the only person you could have gotten me. Vlad Guerrero Jr.'s debut is the only thing that could have gotten me away. From the NFL draft, and you actually, I saw you saw me flipping away from the NFL draft on Friday, so I could watch the Blue Jays versus the A's. Which, if you would ask me uh, about two months ago, would you flip? Would you turn off the NFL draft 
for a Friday night Blue Jays versus A's game. I would have absolutely punched you in the face, said you were crazy, but I did it. And he actually ended up going one for four with a double in his debut. And then Saturday, Sunday, Sunday he went one for four uh, with both signals, singles. Uh, so this is exactly what the NBA needs. They need a superstar they can market, and Vlad Guerrero is that guy. He is that dude, uh, and he ended up playing really well. We'll see what happens with him the next couple of weeks as pitching starts to adjust to him. Can he fight back? And I think he is going to be the face of the MLB uh, the next 10 years. Last thing I wanted to talk about real quick was Chris Davis. Chris Davis started the season 0 for 44, 0 for 54, one of the longest slumping streaks in MLB history. I think it's the longest uh, hitless streak in MLB history. I wanted to give him his credit because since that 0 for 50 whatever streak, he has been batting 320. He has risen his batting average from to 156, uh, which is difficult to do because you're going to start. He's hit four home runs too. But raising your batting average to 156 since you know that bad of a slow streak, uh, I got to give him credit. Batting 320, he's slowly coming back, uh, and I think a lot of people are you know think Chris Davis is a piece of shit player, um, but he's been fighting back and he's actually been playing really well as of late. Uh, so I wanted to highlight that real quick, just for something for you to watch. Chris Davis has been playing pretty well since that whole streak. Uh, but that's it for our show today. We want to thank you to our sponsor, D's Home Cuts. We ask that you go into iTunes, Spotify. YouTube, leave us a five-star rating, review us, subscribe, write a comment, what you like, what you didn't like. We're always trying to get better. Follow us also on Twitter at TNT Sports Talk 1-2. That's where you can find us. Um, send us a DM. Even if you don't follow us, our DMs are always open. Send us questions, comments, concerns, ideas for the show. If you want to be a guest on the show, that's where you can leave us a rating um, on Twitter at TNT Sports Talk 1-2. But that's it for our show. We want to thank you for listening. Tune in on Thursday where we will give you a full breakdown on everything going on in the sports world, including the MLB and the NBA playoffs and an MLB standings update. But that's it for our show today, guys. We thank you for listening and tune in on Thursday. Thanks, guys.